You are listening to the Tom Eliff Podcast. Tom Eliff pastored for 42 years and was also the president of the International Mission Board and the Southern Baptist Convention. He is the founder of Living Word Publications. Now, here is Tom Eliff. Chapter of the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 20. And as we come to the 20th chapter of the book of Exodus, for those of you who are guests this morning, let me remind you that we have been studying through this incredibly exciting book, The Journey of the Children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt where there was nothing but slavery, nothing but cruel and hard labor and bondage, into the wonderful freedom having been set free by God, delivered. And of course, all that's a picture of what it means to be set free from our slavery to sin the dominion of sin in our lives. When Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose from the grave, he did so so that you and I could be set free from sin's dominion over our lives. So it's all a picture to us. It really happened, but it really happened, the Bible tells us, not only for their benefit, but as an example to you and to me. And that's specifically told to us in the New Testament. This is an example for us, and we don't want to miss the example. Now we've come to that time in Israel's pilgrimage when God is giving them what we call the Decalogue or the Ten Commandments. Three times he does this. The first time he gives it to them orally. And of course, that's where we are in the scripture this morning. And we've been looking at each of these Ten Commandments. And this morning, I want you to look with me at the sixth commandment, which you will find in verse 14. In a few moments, we're going to stand together and we're going to read aloud this commandment. Thou shalt not commit adultery. But this morning, I'd like to speak on this subject, how to enjoy the incredible favor of faithfulness in your home. How to enjoy the incredible favor of faithfulness in your home. And this is a message for all ages. As a matter of fact, if you're here this morning, you've never been married, teenager, let's say, student, university student, single, out on the horizon, this bright prospect, one day you're going to be married, this is for you. If you are married, this is for you, obviously. If you've been married for many years and perhaps your partner has deceased, is gone, this is for you. If you have been broken apart in your heart, by the heartache, by the crushing experience of divorce, this is for you. And I'm reminded when I preach this message that First Southern is not a sanctuary for perfect saints, but First Southern is a hospital. And when we look around, when I stand up here on the platform and I look out across this auditorium, I'm reminded that this church is a lighthouse for people and there is a sea, there's a world of hurting people out there. And, and so this is an island of hope. This church is an island of hope for you. And when we gather on Sunday morning, there are people all around us who have been hurt and broken and lives have been trashed and tragically bruised. Uh, and in fact, the, the events of this very week may have been something of that experience for you. And you come to this church because you feel welcome and you are welcome. And because you feel loved and you are loved. And because you feel like no matter what has happened in your life, that here there's a wonderful message of grace and you can pick up the pieces. And you can start putting your life together. 
and God will start blessing you. And you realize that no matter what's happened in your past, at least from today on, by the grace of God, you can be in the will of God. You can be in the family and the fellowship of God. And you can do everything God wants you to do from now on. You might not be able to unlive the past. There's no suggestion that you could. And you go back and you look at that and you say, there's so many things I wish I could do differently, but you can't. But from today on, the wonderful message is that you can be everything from now on that God wants you to be. And that's a wonderful message. It's a message of God's grace. It's a message of God's mercy. It's a message of God's hope. But when we come to this message this morning about enjoying the incredible favor of faithfulness in your home, in your family, I know that out there, there are many people who would say, you know, I wish that we hadn't made some of the mistakes we've made. I wish I, you might be saying, sitting there on that pew, I wish I hadn't made some of the mistakes that I have made. But I think there's not one of us here, if you're married and you've had difficulties in your marriage, I think there's not one of us here that wouldn't want our children to hear the message which I'm going to be preaching this morning. And you'd want to save everyone, deliver everyone from maybe some of the problems that you have gone through. And so this morning, how to enjoy the incredible favor of faithfulness. Now, there's so many people in our church family who can speak with authority and clarity and with passion on this subject. Did you know that two couples in our church family this week led two different marriage seminars? Steve and Terry Harris led a seminar here in this city, and over 40% of that church's uh, uh, average attendance attended this marriage seminar. Five of the people who were there trusted Jesus as their Savior. Pete and Debbie Livingston went over to Tulsa, led a marriage seminar for the First Baptist Church of Tulsa for their younger married couples over there. God blessed in a remarkable way. There's so many people who could speak with clarity and, and with substance and with passion on this subject this morning. Um, you know, sometimes I, I wonder why God has blessed our church with people who are willing to help in such significant ways as people like this. But you know, there are some people here who might not be able to get up on a platform and speak at a seminar led by the church, but, but you have by your lives illustrated faithfulness. And I think about, uh, I look back here and see uh, Charlita Garner and Alex. And Alex, as you know, is... Uh, is struggling and wrestling with Alzheimer's. And, and Charlita wrote me one of the most endearing and tender letters I have ever read in my life. In fact, it moved me to tears. And I, I brought it to church a few weeks ago, and I read her letter to our staff because it's a picture to me of what it means to keep a marriage covenant. And she said, Brother Tom, we are not going to go down in defeat. We are going to go down in victory. And we're going to see God in the midst of all this. And we're going to lay hold on God and God's power in the midst of all that's going to be happening to us in the next several days. We're going to be victorious. And I thought, you know, Charlita and Alex, the two of you preached to me an incredible message of faithfulness just by your presence here this morning. God bless you for your faithfulness. And there are others, I see Larry and Joe Volker and others, you know, I could just, I, if I get started, I can't quit. People who have determined that this business of marriage is serious business and, and God has some good news for you. And so this morning, we're going to be thinking together 
about how to enjoy the incredible favor of faithfulness. Now, I'm not going to be preaching just about how to treat each other right. Jeannie and I are privileged to have for a couple of weeks Dr. Bob Whitty. Dr. Whitty is uh, here in the service this morning. He's just like, you know, he's like my grandfather to me. He blesses us in so many ways and just by being around. And he told me last night about the pastor that visited this elderly couple, and he noticed that the husband just called his wife sweetheart and dear and precious and honey bun and, and sugar and, and uh, love. And, and the pastor finally said, man, he said, uh, that really impresses me. He said, I noticed that you always call your wife by some really wonderful and endearing name. He, How long have you done that? He said, I've, I've done that, oh, for years, probably 10 years. And the pastor said, man, that is incredible. Well, what, you know, how did you, how did you come across that? That blesses your wife. And, and the old man looked at the pastor and said, the truth of the matter is, he said, about 10 years ago, I forgot my wife's name. And he said, from then on, <laughs> I have, I've used these endearing terms. I don't know. I'm not suggesting that, you understand. I'm not, I'm not saying that that's the procedure, but that's not what I'm preaching about this morning. I'm not talking about how to do nice little sweet things. I'm talking about how to enjoy the incredible favor of faithfulness in your home. So would you stand with me, please? And let's look at the Word of God. And I'm going to ask you to read it aloud together with me. Exodus chapter 20. And let's look together and read aloud together verse 14. And normally we have this sort of in the contemporary language, you shall not commit adultery, but somehow I think the King James here gives a ring of authority, doesn't it? Gives a ring of authority. So let's read aloud together. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Let's read again. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Father in heaven, I pray that the truths of your word will come home to our hearts in these next few moments. And I pray it in Jesus' wonderful and matchless and saving name. Amen. Thank you. Be seated, please. Keep your Bible open. I want you to jot down a thing or two as we study together, and you can write them in the margin of your Bible. If not, write them someplace in your heart so that you'll never, never, never forget the truths which I want to share with you this morning. There are just three simple principles that I want you to see. And I'm praying that God somehow will allow every one of these principles to drop into your heart and that with like a powerful explosion, they'll just shatter anything that the devil may have given you, a seed of deception and disillusionment, and uh, that you will see God's purpose in your life and how you can enjoy the incredible favor of faithfulness. Here's the first principle, and I hope that you will write this down someplace in your Bible. You know how God defines marriage. God defines marriage as a sacred institution. God defines marriage as a sacred institution. Marriage is not something, listen to this, teenagers, marriage is not something that men thought up as a neat uh, experience to inaugurate a couple as they begin a new aspect of their life. That's not something that men thought up. God is the one who thought up marriage. There in the Garden of Eden, God fashioned Eve, Adam's companion, out of a portion of his body. That was God's way of saying, listen, Adam, you're not complete without her. And listen, Eve, you are not complete without him. 
And the Bible says God saw that and it was good. And the Bible says in Genesis 1:28 that God blessed them and he gave them a command. He said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over it. God blessed marriage as a sacred institution. As a matter of fact, marriage is a picture of what it means to be saved. The Bible tells us that Jesus is the groom and the church is the bride. And just like a bride and groom say I do to one another, they're welcome into each other's families. When you say I do to Jesus and Jesus says I do to you, God the Father says welcome home. Not because you deserve it, but because you're married to my son. You're accepted in the beloved. And so marriage is a divine institution. It is a sacred institution. When we come to a marriage... We speak vows to one another. We don't just share a marriage contract. A contract is based on mutual distrust. I'll do this as long as you do the following, but if you don't, then I'm going to bail out. But we share vows. They're called vows because they're a covenant. And by the way, wake up to this truth. It's not a covenant between you and your marriage partner. It is a covenant between you and your partner and God. The two of you are making a covenant with God. And you share tokens of that covenant, don't you? You share a ring. It's a token of a covenant. Now, in the Old Testament, here's how they would do it. It was pretty gory. They would take an animal. They would cut it in two from nose to tail. The word covenant, barith, actually means a sense of cutting. And they would cut that animal from nose to tail. There would be two walls of blood that walk in a figure eight, stand in between them. And then they would, they would exchange tokens. They would exchange coats. That would be saying, I take upon me your identity. You take upon you my identity. Belts, my strength is yours. Your strength is mine. Swords, my enemies are yours. Yours are mine. Then they would look at those walls of blood and say, may God do so and more to us if either of us breaks this covenant covenant. And so marriage is a sacred institution. Now, because marriage is a sacred institution, you in your family are to be a channel of God's divine love. So here's the principle. Just write it down someplace. Your life is to be a channel through which God blesses your marriage. It's not to be a means through which sin enters to destroy it. Why are you in this marriage relationship? You're to be a channel of God's love, a channel of God's blessing. You are not to be an instrument, a door or a window through which the devil enters, through which sin enters to destroy your marriage. You say, Brother Tom, you don't understand my marriage. You don't understand, I don't think I married the right person. Did you know that after a while, that person, as you look at that person, that person in one sense is the person that you've made them? Many times a man will back off and he'll begin to criticize his wife. And they've been married for many, many years or she'll back off and look at him and she'll begin to criticize them. They've been married for many years. And in reality, they do not realize they have become the people they have made each other. And in your marriage, you're to be what? You're to be a channel. A channel for what? A channel for sin to come? 
through the things you do, through the things you say, through the relationships you have, the places you go, the habits, the hobbies that you express. No, you're to be a channel of God's love. You're to be a channel through which God brings blessing to your marriage, strengthens that holy thing, that covenant that the two of you made with God. So just remember it. God defines marriage as a sacred institution. Here's the second thing I want you to see this morning. And that is that out of love for you and out of a desire to protect your marriage, God has issued a solemn injunction. So we have marriage as a sacred institution, but because God loves you and God wants to protect your marriage, he has issued a very solemn injunction. It's not something to be taken lightly. It's not something to be taken frivolously. Here's what he says. You shall not commit adultery. It is not permissible for you, he said. Don't do it. He's not saying you're not capable of doing it. He's not saying that if you put yourself in the wrong environment, you might not find yourself wanting to do it or actually doing it. He said, don't do it. You shall not commit adultery. In other words, you shall not break your marriage covenant that you spoke with words of a vow before God. And you said, I will love you, I will cherish you in sickness or in health, for richer or for poorer, until death parts us, until death parts us. I will cherish you. I will only have eyes for you. I am yours. And adultery is breaking that marriage vow by entering into a relationship with another person. Now, I want to, uh, I want to ask you, if you will, please, to turn with me to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5. And Jesus gives us some amplification of this marriage vow in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5. And what does he say there? He says, you have heard it said that you shall not commit adultery. But Jesus says there's more to it than that. He says, I want to tell you that if you even look on another woman, for instance, here you are a man, and you even looked on another woman to lust after her, you have committed adultery with her already in your heart. Now, what is the Lord Jesus saying? Now, get this. Don't miss it. Sin is not only an overt act. Are you listening? Sin is accorded to you when it becomes a hidden ambition. You say, God, you know, I went out, somebody might say I went out and I committed adultery with somebody, so God, God says I committed adultery with somebody. No, you better look at this carefully. There may be a lot of marks up there. Why? Because you may have inwardly, hidden, in a secret fashion, had this ambition, this desire. That's the reason why a lady said to me one time, she said, when my husband is watching TV, she said, you know, he's... She said, I'll tell you what I watch. And she said, I watch my husband watch TV. She said, I want to know what his eyes are focusing upon. 
And she came because she was brokenhearted. She said, I, I sense that he has, uh, he has eyes for others than for me. So you say, well, at least he hasn't committed adultery. Well, Jesus said, Jesus said that to look upon a woman, to lust after her, and ladies, you could say to look upon a man, to lust after him, is to commit adultery with him in your heart. And it's your heart, it's out of the abundance of our heart that we do what we do and say what we say. That's where it begins. Somebody, when they were talking about a man recently who was caught in a terrible sex scandal, said, man, can you imagine it? He just, in all of a sudden, just made one stupid decision. No, actually, the truth of the matter is he probably made thousands of smaller, stupid, but hidden decisions in his heart that opened him up, opened up his spirit, opened up his mind to this possibility. And maybe some of you are saying here, well, that adultery, that's outside marriage, but that doesn't include premarital sex. And so I guess, preacher, you're saying premarital sex is not as bad as adultery or, uh, you know, or especially premarital sex with the person that you're going to marry. Wrong. When you commit premarital sex, you are sinning against God. You are sinning against God's intention for you. You are sinning against God's intention for the other person. You are sinning against your future mate. You are sinning against that person's future mate. You are sinning against their future families down through the generations. You say, is there any message of hope here? What, what if I've blown it? What if I've done something terrible? Brother Tom, you're painting this awful picture here. Well, you know, one of the wonderful testimonies of the Scripture is this, that he that covers his sin shall not prosper. The longer you write off what you're doing as something less than what God says it is, you're not going to prosper. You won't prosper in your marriage. You won't prosper in your business. Your life will not be what it ought to be. But the scripture goes on to say, but whosoever confesses and forsakes it shall have mercy. And that's the wonderful message of God's grace. Does that make it all right? You say, well, I'll just do this, get God's mercy and God's grace, and then we'll go on and we'll have no effect. No, it leaves horrible scars, but God can bring healing, and God can bring strength, and God can bring mercy, but you, you cannot undo it, and the damage that is done by that. And so it's so very, very important for you to understand that it's a sin against your mate, present mate, future mate. And so here's the truth that I want you to put down someplace there in your Bible. There is never a time, never a time or a circumstance when you are free to compromise your marriage covenant, either in your heart or by a specific activity. There's no time when you're free. There's no time when God says, well, in this circumstance, it's okay for you to compromise your marriage vows in your heart or because you're in this circumstance, or you're with a certain group of people, or because nobody else will find out, or because nobody knows what you're watching, or nobody knows what you're thinking. It's okay to compromise the vows of your marriage covenant. No, never a time, never a circumstance when God is going to call evil good. It is men who call evil good and good evil, and that's the society that we see. In our society, they call evil good. Our society says adultery is good, and they call good, thou shalt not commit adultery. They call that evil. They call that narrow-minded. They call that stupid. They call that bigoted. But that's us. That's not God. And God will never call evil good. So there's never a time or a circumstance when God says you're free to compromise 
your marriage covenant either in your heart or by a specific activity. Never a time. Which brings us to this last principle. And that is that faithfulness to your mate, faithfulness to your mate requires a settled intention. A settled intention. You, it's going to happen intentionally, not accidentally. You need to settle it in your heart. You say, Brother Tom, I've already done so many things and I've hurt so many people and my life has been such a mess. You need to come to God. You need to confess. You need to receive His cleansing. You need to receive His forgiveness. You need to let God begin to heal you, to heal your heart, to heal your marriage. But until you do that, you'll never enjoy the incredible favor of faithfulness. But there is the wonderful grace of God. But here's what I'm saying. Faithfulness to your mate requires a settled intention. Look at this verse of Scripture, which you find there on your screen. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. You ought to read that entire fifth chapter of the book of Ephesians because that gives you a template. That shows you how your marriage relationship ought to be. And a part of that means that you are to have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. Let me give you a fourfold plan which will help you to be faithful and help you to enjoy the favor of faithfulness. Look at it. Four things that you can do. First of all, you need to fix your heart on God and God's plan for you. Fix your heart on God and God's plan for you. Psalm 57, 7 says, My heart is fixed, O Lord. My heart is fixed. And that means focused. And you need to say, if you've never said it before in your life, you need to say, I'm going to be faithful to God. I'm going to be faithful to his plan for me. And if you're outside of marriage, you've never been married, then the Bible says that you are to be a virgin. You are to be without physical relationships. And you ought not to let your heart be drawn away to things of that nature. Before the worship service, I was reading to Shannon O'Dell a poem which Dr. Witte wrote. Very interesting poem. It's called The Virgin's Reply. And of course, this is the response of a virgin to someone who has lost his or her virginity. Listen to these words and think about them. What I am now, you used to be. What you are now, you chose to be. What you are now, I too could be, but what I am now, you cannot be. How sad the night you sold your right. You failed the test to be your best, and now you cannot be. And so in your heart right now, you ought to determine. You say, man, my marriage has been such a mess. You ought to say, look. I realize it's not going to happen by accident. It's going to require effort. But from this day on, I'm going to be the man or woman God intends for me to be. But you need to fix your attention upon the Lord and upon God's plan for your marriage. That's the first thing you need to do. Here's the second thing to do. Fill your heart with the Word of God. Fill your heart with the Word of God. Listen, there is not one man or woman in this auditorium 
who has the capacity to be what you ought to be before God in terms of resisting temptation and resisting sin unless the Word of God is in your heart. What does Psalm 119.9 say? If you've got it in your heart, what does it say? It says, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Verse 11 says, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. But you can't take heed to the word of God unless you know the word of God. And so you need to be filling your heart with the Word of God. Daily Bible study, daily prayer, Scripture memory, filling your heart with the Word of God. So you fix your attention upon God. His plan is for you to be faithful. Fill your heart with the Word of God. Number three, flee temptation and sin. Flee. Uh, 2 Timothy 2 verse 2 says, flee youthful lust. It means run from it. When Potiphar's wife tempted Joseph, he ran from her. He didn't stop and say, well, let me see what you have to offer. He didn't stop and rationalize, well, this is not good hygiene. This wouldn't be smart. Potiphar's my boss. He didn't say any of that thing. He ran from temptation. He paid a price for that, but not nearly the price he would have paid had he been guilty, because had he been guilty, he would not have had God's protection. But now he had God's protection even though he was falsely accused and in prison. So you flee, so you run from it. And then what do you do? You find a trustworthy person to be accountable to, your mate. There ought not to be any, any part of your heart, if you're married, there ought not to be any part of your heart that your partner cannot walk through, ask you questions about, and get an honest answer about. And she ought to feel free to do that. He ought to feel free to do that, to ask you anything and to receive from you an honest answer. Many times people will be, say to me, you know, there's something in the heart of my husband or the heart of my wife, and the closer I get to it, the higher the wall gets, and it's just building suspicion. What's the matter? And they never will be one as God intended them to be one. Why? Because they're shielding, they're hiding a certain part of themselves from each other. And if you're not married, you need to find someone. The Bible says... As iron sharpens iron, so the countenance of a man is friend. You need to have someone to be accountable to, to be trustworthy to, and say, look, you know, you hold me accountable. You ask me the hard questions of life. I want to be a pure and holy person, and I want to be a person of faithfulness. You see, there's a whole lot more in this issue of not committing adultery than most people would think. And I want you, if you will, just to let God write this truth across your heart. Faithfulness and moral purity will only result from a deliberately registered and ardently pursued determination. It will be intentional, not accidental. You are not going to be just accidentally faithful any more than you're going to be just accidentally sinless. It requires a deliberately registered, I'm registering this before God, and then an ardently pursued determination. I'm not going to be just accidentally the husband I'm supposed to be. My wife is not going to be accidentally the wife she's supposed to be. It requires a deliberate focus, an intentional desire that you will pursue with all of your heart to be the man, to be the woman God wants you to be.
And when you are, you can enjoy the incredible favor of faithfulness. God has not given us these commands because he wants our life to be miserable. God has not given these commands because he wants to keep us from something that really would be good for us, that we not only would enjoy now, but would enjoy, would bless our life for the rest of our lives. God gives us this command because violating this command brings tragic results. But keeping this command brings incredible blessing, the favor of faithfulness. And I look around this room and I see men and women who've been married for many years and been faithful to one another. And I see others who've been married and struggled through events in their life, but God's grace came down. God's mercy was applied. God showed them a new way of living. God showed them how the balance of their life could be everything he wanted it to be. And they plunged themselves underneath the blood of Jesus. They received his cleansing. They received his forgiveness. And God has brought them out into the light. I mean, I see you by the dozens out here. And you're basking in the wonderful glow of God and, and rejoicing in the strength that he's brought to your marriage and the harmony he's brought to your home. But dear friend, I want to tell you something. There is a favor in this world that's incredible. And it is the incredible favor of faithfulness. And by his grace, it's a favor you can enjoy. Father in heaven, I pray thanking you for bringing us here this morning. I pray that your Holy Spirit would move in power in this place. Lord, bring people to this altar who will receive you as their Savior and as the Lord of their life. Lord, bring people to this altar to whom you've spoken about joining this church and who will this very day register that fact that they want to be a part of this wonderful family of God. God, bring to this altar those who would decide for you Perhaps those who would want to take their mate by hand and say, I want you to hear me, and I want God to hear us speak to him these vows that we will be faithful one to the other until death does us part. Father, I pray trusting that you'd put in the heart of students to be faithful now for the marriage that's going to take place then. So there'll be no apologies, no forgiveness, no confessions necessary. They have kept themselves for the one person in this world you've chosen to be their mate. Now, Lord, this is your invitation to our hearts. I pray you'd find us eager to respond. And I pray it in the wonderful and blessed name of Jesus. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. In just a few moments, we're going to stand. Our choir is going to help us as we all sing together a song of invitation. It's your invitation for you to say yes to God. Now, listen carefully. Listen carefully. There are some here this morning who would have to say, Brother Tom, you know the biggest problem in my life is that I don't know for sure that Jesus Christ is my Savior and the Lord of my life. Some of you may say this morning, I've been trying to live like a Christian. I fail miserably, and I realize it's because I'm not a Christian. It's like taking a bath without water. I know a lot about Jesus, I just don't know him. But preacher, this morning what I want to know is for sure that my sins are forgiven, that I have eternal life, that I'm on the track for abundant life, for his peace, for his plan for my life. Well, this, dear friend, then is your personal invitation to say yes to him. And I want to encourage you when we stand, just as a part of standing, don't even wait, don't even wait. 
Just step to the aisle. Make your way down this aisle. These counselors will be here at front. I'm going to ask them to come and stand here right now. So you'll know where they are. And you just pick one out and you say, I'm going to walk right straight to that person. I'm going to find that man. And I'm going to register the fact that today I'm trusting Jesus as my Savior. And that's what you'll just say to them when they come. Just say today, I'm trusting Jesus. I'm trusting Jesus. I'm trusting Jesus. And if that's your heart's desire, the moment we stand, would you just step to the aisle? There may be people around you. You may be right in the middle of the pew. That's all right. They'll be glad to step back or step out so that you can come and make the most important decision in all of eternity. It'll be a red-letter day, the banner day for your eternity, the day that you receive Jesus. Because you see, only Jesus died on the cross for your sins and the wages of sin is death. And only Jesus, having died for sins, has been raised from the grave. He conquered death and sin. And so he has the ability to give you life. And he wants to do that this morning. And he said, if you will turn to him and turn from your own efforts, he will give you eternal life. Would you want his forgiveness, his cleansing, his eternal life? Just come on. Just say yes to him this morning. Would you determine that in your heart? Would you say, dear Lord, give me the boldness to do that this morning, to trust you this morning. Give me the boldness to trust you this morning. Now, you won't be coming by yourself. Others will be coming. Prayer warriors will be coming. I'm going to ask them to come to this altar in a few moments. I'm going to ask those who've made decisions in earlier services, such as those who are baptized this morning or in some other service, you join the church. You've not been introduced. You come and be seated over here to your right where it says seating for new members. And there are those to whom the Lord's speaking about joining this church. You may be a student and you're here attending university and you want to come under the watch care of this church while you're away from your home church. What a wonderful thing to do this morning. And we'd love you and pray for you and encourage you. You may be new in this town. You may be here in this church for the very first time this morning, but God just said to you, this is it. This is the place. Well, then why wait? Why not settle it this morning? Come tell one of these counselors, we're joining this church. I'm joining this church this morning. I want to plant my life here, serve Jesus here. This is your invitation. You come, be a part of this, come to that class tonight, be a part of that. This is your invitation to say yes to Jesus. And this altar is open for those of you who want to come and kneel and pray. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Let's stand together. Father in heaven, I pray, trusting you right now to bring to this altar everyone who will say yes to you in this moment. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. We're beginning to sing.